For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. That we're here with another episode of Believe in Kentucky. Got Aaron Gershon for the Cats Pause, the man who gave us that highlight, Tom Leach on the call, Jalen Whitlow, and we got a guest with us, Cats Illustrated, photographer, managing editor, wears all the hats. Jeff Drummond is in here to talk some cats with us tonight. Man, fellas, how's everybody doing? Good, man. Can't complain. Yeah, keeping the head above water, man. You know how it goes in November. Uh, just got back from Chicago on the way to South Carolina, but uh, lot, lots of stuff going on. It's a fun time of year, but it keeps us keeps us on the move. Mm. I got to just get to the important stuff right quick with, with Jeff and Aaron real fast. I just want to know, two-part question, uh, and we talked about this before, Aaron, so Jeff, your ears might have been burning a few episodes back. Uh, do who's going to be the first person to to miss an immaculate grid category? <laughs> and when they, when they build an immaculate grid Hall of Fame, who gets the wing first? Jeff Drummond wing or Aaron Gershon wing? Because y'all y'all are killing the game. So yeah, you know, with since football really got kicking off, I've been slacking and haven't been filling it out as much. I just haven't had the time, but. I don't know, man. Jeff and I will we'll compare notes too before practice. We were we were doing that for a little bit, so I don't know who who the better one. If we're talking like pre nineteen pre two thousand, I'm getting my my butt whooped. But uh, uh, I, I don't know, man. It, it's close. I, I'd say we're pretty even. I forgot to keep up with it as much since the playoffs have ended. Yeah, because baseball is not at the the front Top of, of your, there. Yeah. your mind right now, but. I need to do it more often, but I've I've taken more uh, L's in that one than, than Aaron has. Oh, you have? Because I, I every time I see y'all tweeting, it's nine for nine. I'm like, man, it's like, you know, Steph Curry and, and all these guys warm up. I was like, are they ever going to miss a shot? I'm like, is Jeff and Aaron ever going to get one wrong? I've had a few sevens and eights along the way. And it, oh, my. It ruins the rest of my day, too. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's best we, we, we keep on the hiatus then. <laughs> so yeah, I had to had to hit that man. I, I see y'all tweeting about it the most, and yeah. y'all are pretty much pretty much money every time. Uh, real quick, Jeff, man, we had we had Paul Yannish on here before the start of the baseball season. So let me just get your thoughts on on the Reds today. Exceed expectations? Was it a fun ride? Were you disappointed? Where were you at? Where are you at on your Reds? Before we get into everything else, man, they've they've kind of reeled me back in. I was uh, I was ready to to jump off the, the cliff <laughs> a couple of years ago. In fact, last season I didn't watch them play a game for the first time in my life. I, I turned on that the cornfield field of dreams game for like ten minutes because it was something cool and, and unusual. But I didn't care about the hoop the Reds. I just wanted to see them playing ball in the cornfield. <laughs> So I went through all last season, and I thought that was going to be the hardest thing in my life because I've diehard baseball since I was about five years old. And it really wasn't that hard, and that kind of <laughs> scared me because I was like, can I really give up something that I'm so passionate about and not even miss a beat? 
but I, I decided to jump back in this year and I, I think they have management front office that's finally doing things the right way. And there's kind of a light at the end of the tunnel. So the, the disconnect was real last year, huh? It was. It was but I had the, the best blood pressure <laughs> of my life. I went to the doctor. My cardiologist said, what are you doing? Are you, are you exercising more? Change your diet? I said, no, I quit watching the Reds. Oh, my God. Cleanest bill of health ever. <laughs> oh, no, I'm man. probably in the same boat with how bad the Yankees and Giants have been this year. Like I get to just relax. There's no, there's no point in stress, and I couldn't even tell you what time the Giants game is this Sunday. I'm so checked out. Like mm -hmm. it's not a fun place to be in, but uh, man, sometimes it's good for you to go uh, touch grass, I guess, if you would. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And Jalen, you, you you're not a fan fan, so you don't even have these problems, man. Yeah, I don't have these issues, man. I I I. I, I I choose not to be, I mean, I grew up in a place where it was kind of middle of nowhere as a, you know, when, when it comes to pro sports, I know everybody's Bama or Auburn fans, but you know, when it comes to pro sports, man, I, I have, uh, I don't even watch it to be honest with you. I would be sitting here lying to you guys and said that I watch pro sports. I don't, um, you know, usually I watch if I can catch it, but I'm usually coaching during the world series, watch the Super Bowl. Um, usually in February, you know, NBA finals in the summer, but outside of that, man, I'm, you know, I'm watching Alabama football, Kentucky football, and whoever else I like to watch on offense. Yeah, all right. We'll definitely get back to the football. Got to start with the most recent last night. With the Aaron, you were there in the United Center, the, the Cats. You know, could have easily rolled over down eight nothing, down eleven three, and got run off the court. And yeah. they, they took a punch and punched back, and and was taking it to Kansas for a while. Just just came up short there in the in the closing few minutes. Yeah, look, it's tough. It's you know, you got to be pretty proud of that effort against the number one team in the country, a really experienced team, uh, more size, obviously not Hunter Dickinson and all the bigs they have on that team, and you only get out rebounded by three. Obviously, some individual things to really like with Rob Dillingham, the heater he went on uh, toward the end of that first half there to kind of give them that seven point lead into half Reed Shepard, I thought was great for the most part outside of that last sequence there. Um, I thought a do played probably his best game as a wildcat so far. So a lot to like, but um, I think I was talking about this with Jeff and the guys uh, over at football before we talked to Brad white and company today. And I think the two things that killed them last night, which I think are both fixable. Uh, one is kind of when things started to hit the fan, if you would, would um they kind of went back and said antonio bail us out man like we need you and that's the type of thing where the, that's too much pressure on them that that's what kind of got them hurt last year against kansas state where they even had an eight point lead in the second half there and they kind of relied on antonio's shooting to be the to finish them off antonio went cold they couldn't get any other offense going and they end up losing the game so um i think that was kind of similar and then the other thing is uh, you need more from DJ Wagner and Justin Edwards. And it's only their third college game. Uh, they're both five-star McDonald's All-Americans. Edwards, like, the projected number one pick in the upcoming draft. So there's plenty of optimism. Those two guys, uh, especially Justin Edwards, can get it going. Uh, but you're not going to win many games, many marquee games, when those two guys shoot a combined one for 18. And I think, honestly, the most concerning stat of them all, and I think Calipari mentioned it was a concerning stat uh, that DJ Wagner had, I forget if it was after one of the two regular season games or in the preseason, but DJ Wagner only having one assist. You're not going to win many games, big games, um, when your starting point guard only has one assist. So uh, need more from those two guys. I think they will, but uh, those are kind of my main takeaways. But still, like if you're if you're going to have a moral victory, it's going to be probably the effort they put together last night. So you, Jeff. This was one of those weird kind of games, and. We talked about it earlier today while we were waiting at football practice that you go back and look at the stats and, mm. and it still doesn't make any sense to me. You had Hunter Dickinson goes from 27 and 21. Uh, the, the point guard who has two points all season has 23. Good player, but he gets – and then there's a third guy nobody's even talking about that has a triple-double. And, and the Cats – 
had the lead for most of that game. And I look at those numbers and I'm like, how did this, how did this even happen? How did they not lose by, you know, 15, 20 points? And I've been trying to, to crack the code. And the best I can figure is they take care of the ball really well. They do not waste possessions. They had about close to 20 more shots than Kansas did. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and that, that matters, you know, in, in games like this. And keeping the rebounding close was big. But in modern basketball, if you could knock down 12 threes, and I know some people thought they may have forced a couple and took too many. But, man, if they're 12 of 36, that's that's a 50% night, basically, effective field goal percentage. And that, it changes everything. And it gives you a lot of hope moving forward that they're going to have ways to score you know, even if the overall field goal, field goal percentage doesn't look that great. Go ahead, Zay. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I didn't get a chance to watch it because we're, you know, we've been busy with football stuff and whatnot. But, you know, from what I've seen and highlights and whatnot and from what I've heard from reputable sources, um, you know, you always want to obviously win the game. You know, that that's that's the goal. That's the objective of competitive sports. However, uh, you know, with such a young team, um, you know, putting everything together, how it came together so late, you know, you cannot, you can't help but to be um, excited about what's to come. You know, I mean, that's a pretty veteran thing with some, you know, some key pieces uh, from Kansas uh, or some big pieces. <laughs> I mean, you got guys down there who are dwarfing, you know, Kentucky, you know, on the court. And there's, I mean, no doubt about that. So for them to battle in the rebound game, for them to battle on the board, for them to battle on defense like they did, um, and for guys, you know, for your starting point guards to have one, one assist, if I had to bet that would not happen again, um, you know, they, I mean, I don't – I think they're in a good spot. I mean, Kansas is a good team. We, I mean, we're probably going to see Kansas make a deep run again. Um, so, you know, again, you always want to win, but at the end of the day, did you improve? Uh, did you see what you have for the year? Did you kind of set your sights on what and who's who and what's what to be able to, you know, get yourself into SEC play and be able to dominate SEC play? You know, that's always the goal. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we all we all know exactly what they're working with when it comes to the youth and, you know, the freshness of this group being together. So, you know, that's, that's just what it is, man. I, and I'm sure Calipari feels the exact same way. Uh, yes, you want to win, but at the end of the day, he found out a lot about his team um, moving forward. So now he can do a better job of connecting the pieces and, you know, connecting the dots, I should say, and uh, getting those guys ready for what's down the road. Because I think they've got a chance to, and we talked about this, to do something, do something really uh, really special this year. Uh, I think they have that type of team. It's just a good vibe around the team. You guys can feel it. Um, so, you know, I'm excited to see what's come. Sure. And, I'm with y'all, you know, as far as Edwards and and Wagner, but then this it's kind of a catch twenty two. I think they kind of forced reuse to to try. Somebody's got to try to be aggressive and, yeah. and and do something. So I mean, he wasn't hitting a lot, but you know, those guys were you know first big game and they're trying to trying to find their way, you know, the big stage, the whole thing, and they'll acclimate and, and you know settle in and you you. Get what we hope to be that balance across the board, where they're tough to defend. If you shut down a couple of them, well, there's still three more guys that can kill you, and then you got Reed and Dylan him off the bench. So I think you know Edwards and all those guys will find their way. But that that kind of forced Antonio to be like, well, I gotta try to go yeah. and and win this. Somebody gotta try to go and and be aggressive. And I credit him for doing that. Hate that he wasn't able to to get a few more to fall. Yeah. 25 shots. I mean, that's just a, I think John Clay put it out that uh, his 17 three points attempted were the most in a single game in the Calipari era. Like, gotta be. yeah, it's just a crazy <laughs> number. And he only hit three of them. So, you know, tough night. I'm sure Antonio too, man, like not only if like you, uh, the pressure of probably being the guy to need to step up, but you know, homecoming game for him. First time in a Kentucky uniform playing back in Chicago. So probably had a lot of nerves there for him too. But, you know, again, like this is a game that it stinks to lose. Anytime you're up 14 in the second half, uh, you don't want to lose. And to, uh, as you know, <laughs> I was kind of 
was like, how did a Thiero have such a terrible minus, uh, plus minus? And Jeff was like, yeah, because he was on the court uh, for an 11-1 run at the end of the game and then a, uh, a 9-0 run at the beginning, 11-3. So that made sense. So just a you know, tough one, game of runs, and they fell up on the wrong side. But, you know, if they get a little more from those two stars, Wagner and Edwards, take the pressure off uh, Antonio a little bit, um, I think they'll be in a good shape going into their next big one, which is going to be uh, two weeks here at Rupp Arena against Miami. I know a lot of people this morning were were kind of down on Antonio Reeves a little bit because of those shooting numbers. But I, when I was watching the game, and I really wasn't watching the stat sheet as much as sometimes I usually do, it didn't occur to me that he was having those kind of issues. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize until after either. I thought he was coming up with some, some big buckets when they needed them. And, and I liked mm-hmm. the way he would uh, – go and get a two at times and attack the the lane and get in there. And even the missed threes, they all look like they're going to drop for me. There's some guys that shoot for Kentucky and I'm like, Oh boy. (laughs) But when Antonio does, I'm like, yeah, that looks like a pretty good shot. So the three for 17 doesn't bother me a whole lot. It doesn't look great. (laughs) No, but at the end of the day, he had 24 points. I think he had eight boards. Which was, right. which was big, and he he played decent defense and, and did some other things. So I'm I'm not going to dwell on the shooting. I I think he did his job mm-hmm. for the most part in that one, and and, and could have been the hero if a couple other guys had stepped up. It didn't didn't feel like like you said you didn't you didn't catch yourself watching the game. And said man, Tony's out here gunning, saying no. ball hogging. You didn't you didn't get that vibe at all. So maybe you. that's because of the pace. You know, mm-hmm. the way they were getting up and down. And it, it's fun to watch, but maybe there will be some nights if they continue to play at this tempo where, you know, a guy ends up with some shooting stats that look a little bit off. Yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of volume, sure. <laughs> at the end of the day, it was good to just see the number 84 next to Kentucky's name. I felt like there haven't been that many 80-point 80, 80 outings the last, uh, really since the injury started to pile up on that 20 one twenty two team. I mean, last year, I'd have to go back and look off the top of my head. The only 80 put output I can remember in like a real, like not counting the cupcake games at the beginning of the year would be uh, Auburn, the game at home against Auburn. I can't even remember another game. They were 80 or more. So even that's just a nice number to, to put next to the Kentucky logo again. It's been a little bit. <laughs> Get this too. They, they had a six minute stretch in the second half where they didn't hit a field goal. And then they ended yeah. up getting, about the last four minutes, they didn't make one. So that's 84 points, 10 minutes of the game. They didn't do a thing. Yeah. And and they scored what? They, they I know they went into the first media timeout down 11-3, and they were up 47. They scored 47 points in the first half after they scored three points in four minutes there. So, yeah, I mean, they could score in bunches. That run that Rob Dillingham had four threes on four straight possessions and then dishes to Antonio for a fifth. Like, that was as – I thought they were going to win in that moment. I'm like, how do you lose this game? That's like a special moment that people are just going to be like the Tyrese Maxi game a couple of years ago. It's going to be one of those champions classic memories. These fans, you know, look back upon. So, uh, you know, hopefully that moment doesn't get too for- much forgotten because it was a loss. Cause I mean, that was kind of like, a, okay, this is how Kentucky basketball is supposed to be uh, type of moment for me, at least that one to two minute swing in the game. It was a spark to to get them back in it, you know. Like you said, they could have they could have folded. You know, Jeff, I'm gonna date us because we're older than Aaron and Jalen. But you know, Dillingham's kind of got that that Mad Maxwell, you know, where you're unconscious all the time. You can miss a hundred straight shots. It doesn't matter. That's gonna stop you from you know the next ten or twenty you're gonna take. You know that mindset where you know he's just unfazed by whatever's happening. I much prefer that to the alternative. <laughs> I like, man, those guys, it's like the old quote that Jordan had. <laughs> you, you can't be thinking about, you know, missing shots like that. You, you always got to think that the next one's going down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I liked what I saw from, from both Gillingham and Reeves. And, that was- and for him to be, you know, you, Calipari says that everybody that's watched him, you know, what you're getting, you know, he can be breathtaking. You know, there can be some, oh, some, you know, some bad shots, and you got to kind of find that balance and and rein it in. When he was 
on fire, and he could have just walked into a three, and he still hits Reeves cross court oh. for the three that Antonio, one of them that Antonio made. For him to still have the vision and say, hey, let me get the ball to a teammate. True freshman. And I wouldn't have had a problem as hot as he was if he, you know, take that shot. Again, Jeff, Nick Van Exel used to pull up one on five and just, you know, launch those 30-footers. I would have had a problem hot as Dilly was to do that. But he, he looks and sees a teammate and gets the ball even in that moment. So that was – they only grow from that, you know. They only grow. Yeah. No, I, when I saw that play develop, I mean, Rob, all he had to do was dribble to the three-point line. It would have been wide open. So yep. for him to have that vision, have that unselfishness, man, I, I, that was that was pretty big. And they talked about that whole Toronto trip, at least the first two games that I was there for, uh, I probably heard the word unselfish nine or ten times from not Cal but the players so to see it kind of come to fruition in their first big game again you, it, it, all this uh, you know they didn't get the win there's still work to do but I mean it's it's as positive as you could be after a loss it really is nice foundation to to build on all four for sure for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So you guys were at practice today, and Jalen, I know you listen to all the interviews, and we hear everything the coaches say. So, what's what's the vibe? What's the mindset? Got a, got a revenge game against South Carolina. <laughs> They're trying to get both eligible. What's what's the mindset for what you guys heard from the, the coaches today? Go ahead, Jeff. I'll let you start. <laughs> <laughs> well, our running joke at practice is is how we're running out of. Uh, Yes, to ask at, at these things, we we've reached that point in the season, and it and it kind of mirrors like with about three weeks to go at the, towards the end of camp, heading into the season. Mm-hmm. We've already hammered everything to that point, and everybody's like, "Let's just go and play a game," and it's kind of feeling like that every week now. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, we've beat this stuff to death. Uh, Brad White must have said, "We got to win one on ones." <laughs> Like eight times a day. Oh any question God. we asked, that, that's kind of what it boiled down to. And, uh, you know, he might be right. <laughs> he is right. Some of the film. I mean, I know people are out there all, all the time trying to nitpick schemes and play calls and all that. But ultimately, you got to beat that guy across from you if, if you want to win some of these games. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think. By the way, I was just going into my transcript from today. I have him saying one-on-ones four times, so there you go. Uh, oh, it felt like twice as much. It felt like twice as much, but uh, I only got him at four. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I just think, you know, that and the third down defense were kind of the two things from today that came up, but um, it wasn't really anything new. I think I think more so, as, you know, not to ignore what happened today. There really wasn't that much, though. Um, I, I took more from Mark Stoops, honestly, on Monday. I actually thought he that was one of his better press conferences of the year. I thought he was pretty open about some of the issues that were kind of ongoing, uh, kind of just breaking down some of the, the things on defense, some of the things on the offensive line. Um, I thought he was pretty, pretty honest. I thought he was um, accountable, and I, I thought it was a good press conference. I thought he gave a lot of good information. Um, so, uh, that, that was more so. And honestly, my biggest takeaway from it is he was, he was pretty damn upbeat. I mean, I I don't know about you, Jeff, but, um, listening to him last Monday before the Alabama game and even Thursday in his little five minute breakout session, he does at the end of the week, he seemed like he kind of knew what was about to happen in my opinion. When you could kind of sense the stress in his voice, you can kind of the hesitancy, like, you know, you're not going to come out there and say, yeah, we got no chance. He's going to talk about you know, them having a good week of practice and being prepared and, you know, knowing exactly what Alabama is going to bring, but you could hear it in his voice. And I've kind of felt the same way that whole Georgia week uh, and even a little bit, you know, the Tennessee week. So um, I thought he was really upbeat. I thought he had a really good message about uh, like, I, I don't, I'm trying to think, I, I haven't heard him like when they, they ask him, you know, 
when he was asked, um, you know, there's still a lot to play for this season. Uh, usually he'll kind of brush that off and be like, yeah, next game. And he's talking some big picture stuff. He's like, yeah, like it's going to help our bowl positioning if we get these wins. Uh, finishing in the top half of the SEC is nothing to scoff at. And he, he's right. So th- there was just a lot more, I thought, from Stoops. I thought he was pretty open. He, you could kind of tell there's a, at least from him, there's a really a, a sense of urgency these last two games to finish eight and four, which would be the third best record he's had in a regular season. So, um, yeah, again, my, my takeaways this week are probably from that press conference. Say you, Jay. Yeah, man, I, you know, like I said, I watch them. And, uh, you know, it, it's always kind of, you know, it. you try your best as a coach. You know those games that you're going into and you know that you probably don't have much of a shot. Um, and you try not to, you know, kind of spew that onto your team and into the media and whatnot, but it comes out, you know, and, and everybody knows, you know, Alabama's on a different level. Georgia's on a different level. However, they do have a chance to go into Columbia, South Carolina at 730, which I think is probably the most underrated um, yeah. Saturday night experience in the SEC. And I'll, I'll stand by that one. You know, um, it, it is it is, it is is underrated. You know, that, that place, man, Williams Bryce, um, it, it gets pretty loud and pretty rowdy. Um, I got a few kids that that I've coached that go there now, and they, you know, and they, and they, you know, it's, it's just nuts, man. Uh, and I think you know it'll be a big game for South Carolina because, like I said, they're trying to get in the bowl game, and Kentucky's trying to get into a better bowl game. So, um, you know, it's going to be a big game. There's always that little rivalry between Kentucky and South Carolina, and it's been that way for a while. Uh, and I do think you know. It's kind of it's an interesting matchup because South Carolina's not playing bad right now. They actually are playing as good as they played all year. Um, you know, you got a good quarterback in Spencer Rattler. You know, uh, who can make all the plays. He's an NFL talent. Um, you know, but I think you know we have to see the offense kind of get back on track this week um, and, and score some points. I think this game is going to be a game of point score. Um, I don't think this is going to be a low scoring game. I think. Kentucky's offense is going to have to generate some, generate some points, which I think they can. Um, and, you know, Liam Cohn was, was really annoyed talking about how, you know, South Carolina has changed the structure on defense and they're going more to a Mississippi State style. Um, which is, <laughs> I can only imagine how annoying that is because, you know, you know, you, you study an offseason, you put together, everybody has binders of each team that they put together in offseason. And you watch film in offseason of that D coordinator, that school, you put together notes, you start to even make a game plan a little bit. And you get to the, the game, the week of the game, and now they're changing. Uh, so that that's probably a little bit annoying. Uh, especially, especially when that tape was really bad, Jalen. <laughs> no doubt. Especially when they're changing to what they're changing to. Uh, but at the end of the day, like y'all were saying, man, you got to win. You got to win one-on-one matchups. You got to beat the guy across to you consistently. Um, and, that, and that's what football is. So Kentucky, in my opinion, has the better team. Uh, the kicker is they're going there at 7.30 at night. That's always the kicker going to that place. Uh, it's tough to win in that place at 7.30 at night. We saw that last year with Tennessee going in there. Um, it, it, it's just tough to win there. We saw that in 2021 when they pulled out the win, but they didn't play well um, on offense in particular. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. I think Kentucky will, will pull it out, but I do think they're going to have to score points. I think South Carolina's offense – it's kind of hitting a little bit of stride right now. Spencer Rattler's playing well. Uh, so they're going to have to score some points and kind of um, put some pressure on Rattler, man, and, and make them one make them uh, one dimension if they can. So, you know, they're changing up everything here at the last minute, at the 11th hour defensively, so to speak. How, how will that go over for them – Defensively, will will this be better for them? Are they are they gonna accept it? Will it click for them? You know, when when Tony Delk hosted the show with me, this was when Tom Crean was still at Georgia, and and Tom Crean every five games would like just change the entire offense and overhaul it. And sure, that's hard to scout, that's hard to prepare for. But I asked TD, I said, is he kind of maybe overwhelming his own guys? How are they digesting all this? Will South Carolina's guys digest this defensively? Been doing this for 10 games, and now we're going to change up now in game 11 
or will it will it be more suited to their personnel? I mean, could it, it go either yeah. way, didn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, you can't discredit that it – I know it was Vanderbilt, but you can't discredit that it worked last week. And yeah. so not that it's going to work again, but more so it's going to give those guys confidence that they went out and did that uh, and they only gave up six points. So uh, you can't discredit that. And you also can't discredit that there's going to be just a, a confidence going into that game from them that they can beat Kentucky. They did it last year. I understand the circumstances uh, – we're not ideal for Kentucky playing with a backup quarterback, making his first career start. Um, first play of the game, you have a reverse that's fumbled and it gives the ball to Caroline at the two yard line. They punched it immediately. So it was just a, a game from hell for Kentucky. But um, so I, I don't think you can discredit that. But at the end of the day, I think it does come down to the 11 guys on the field and South Carolina's defense. Uh, maybe it's a better structure that they played with last week. Um, they put it on tape. Now it's there for Kentucky to watch, and the players just have not played well uh, on defense for South Carolina this season. I mean, they're near – They obviously their pass defense is the worst in the SEC. It's one of the 11th worst – it's the 11th worst in the country. Uh, their run defense is middle of the pack in the country. Uh, they don't get to the quarterback. They're about the – I think they have this – Kentucky has one more sack than them. So – toward the bottom of the SEC in that category. Uh, they, they forced some turnovers, um, eight interceptions this year. But if you look at the stats, a lot of those are against the uh, Jacksonville State. I think for three of them, uh, Furnham had a pick or two. So, you know, that number's even inflated. Like, they've really beat up on uh, – there's been some stat padding against those bad teams. So, this is not a great South Carolina team. Uh, like Jalen said, Spencer Rattler is a really good quarterback. Uh, Xavier Leggett's probably the best wide receiver Kentucky's faced this year. So there, there's more so concern, I think, that this defense that has really struggled to slow down the pass could could be in for another tough night. But this offense, man, if it can just play like it did against Tennessee and add some add some run to that, and then even I, th I thought they played okay in Mississippi State. I don't think it was a great performance, but – before uh, Devin went down, I actually thought they played. They weren't. They weren't like they were in, against Tennessee, but they were pretty close, and they even ran the ball a little better than they did the week before. So, if they can play like that, um, crack thirty points. Uh, I don't think they've done that since uh, the Florida game. Um, you know, I, I, I think they'll end up being fine. But there's some confidence probably brewing in that in that South Carolina locker room right now. I'd like to be a fly in the wall over there because I, I wonder when I heard about them changing that the schematic approach this late in the season, that's just something you don't hear of. I'm wondering that's if it's a different play caller. That's kind of like Vinny too. It's like, doesn't that put a lot on your guys more than, <laughs> than fooling the other team? I can't imagine what it would be like to, to switch in November to, to something else. But Aaron was reading off all those stats and I, I look at this game where you got to have Kentucky in the thirty to thirty-four point range. Yeah, and it, it and if they don't, that, that's a pretty big letdown given what South Carolina's put on tape. Now, South Carolina might get 27, 28, something like that. But if you, can, I think if you can get the thirty or thirty-one, you might be in a position to win a closer. Yeah, yeah, I think you know. Like we were talking about the defensive change and whatnot, you know, you see coaches coaches do that only when they're in like absolute desperation. And <laughs> reading off the stats and where they rank right now, I mean, they are in absolute desperation. Um, so I, I, you know, I get it. You know, I get it to try to mix it up and especially, you know, mix it up against, you know, a quote unquote rival. Uh, and against a team that has shown to not do as well against that particular structure, um, you know, maybe it's a good good time to mix it up, you know. And it depends, you know, it's easy to say from the outside looking in that it, it's really tough to do. However, good coaches find ways to make things relatable and find ways to make keep it simple while, it, you know, seeming complex to the outside. So who knows? Maybe they have some type of uh, – you know, maybe they installed and kept some type of contingency plan. If things don't go well in their base defense, they'll do this instead. Uh, however, you know, I think, uh, you know, they have to keep it pretty simple for their players playing a totally different structure, which I'm sure they are. 
And, you know, and just that little tweak and structure can throw off opposing teams, even if they're doing, you know, two or three things out of it. So, you know, if I had to bet, that's what I'm willing to bet that they are doing. You know, I'm sure they're not having a throwing a full playbook on them and saying, hey, let's play this whole defensive, this new defensive structure. And we got seven different coverages and, you know, 35 different blitzes. I'm sure they're not doing that. So, you know, we'll see. You know, I, again, their defense is terrible. Uh, mm. Let's call it what it is. It's terrible. So, um, Kentucky got to go out and, and make sure that everybody else know that it's terrible. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're expected to play teams that are that you're better than. You're expected to prove to them and to everybody else that you're better than them. So they got to go out and score points. And like like Aaron said, they have to be more balanced on offense, in my opinion. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think this is a game where you should score 31, 34, 37 points uh, against teams like this, I, I, in my opinion. Um, but we'll see. You know, they got to kind of click on all cylinders and uh, make sure they don't allow uh, that crowd to uh, derail them on offense a little bit. Yeah, I, I think real quick, just to, to put a stat in perspective, the only team to not score at least 21 points against South Carolina this year is Vandy. Furman scored 21. Jacksonville State scored 28. Like, there's there's no excuses here. Go on. Sorry. Well, Jalen said something that made me, made me wonder uh, when talking about the, the scheme issue. I'm wondering if – and I wish we had thought to – follow up with Liam about this. If maybe they just found something in their like nickel or dime packages that was giving them a better chance. And this isn't so much uh, a switch to like that three, three, five or totally what Mississippi state's doing as much as maybe it's just them uh, laying into their other packages more and saying our base is not working. Uh, what we've used for for the first you know nine or ten games of the season just wasn't cutting it. So so maybe we'll throw this different uh, package out there and ride with it for a while. This, this might be a stupid question, Jalen, but <clears throat> nerd out if you want to. Like Jeff, Jalen, Jalen like fights and tries not to nerd out. We want him to, but he's like, no, nah, he like tries to hold back and in <laughs> the knowledge that he drops. But you said. Um, a contingency plan. Maybe they start the season saying, if this doesn't work, we'll have this. And you said good coaches can make stuff relatable. That said, how many staffs go in with contingency plans thinking that plan A might not work? We better have plan B. How many go with plan A and are confident that it will work? And how many do say, well, just in case this don't work with these dudes, we, we got this in the back burner. Yeah. Does that happen a lot? Like, it, Usually in college and NFL, it don't happen a lot because you get a chance to pick your players. So you get to pick, you know, if you're a 4-3 type structure or 4-2-5 structure with personnel, that's what you go into the season doing. You know, now some people say, hey, if we have such and such, and such injury at – X position, or we have X injury at X or, or Y injury at Y position. Let's do this instead because we have smaller bodies here and bigger bodies here, or what, or more bodies here and less bodies here. So this could have been a thing to where they went into the season saying, "Hey, this is a third down package that mm-hmm. we can throw out if we like." Um, in the spring and summer, we'll work on it, or in the spring, summer, and fall, we'll work on it a little bit. We'll spend a little bit of time on it, and if we need it in the season, we'll use it. Or it could have been a thing to where they say, hey, you know, if we get this happen, if X happens, we need to go here. Um, because, you know, I think that's the that's coaching is problem solving at the end of the day. So, you know, a lot of times coaches' summers are spent watching film and figure out how to solve the potential problems that can arise on their team. Now, in high school, you see a, you see that type of stuff a lot because you don't get a chance to pick your players. So mm-hmm. you get one injury at the end, and now you are a three-man front team uh, as opposed to being a four-man front team. So any lower levels of football, when I say lower levels, I'm talking high school and lower, you have to be more flexible. And that's why, you know, as coaches, we always talk, and even some college coaches talk and say, hey, there are a lot of great coaches out there. There are a lot of great coaches in the NFL and college. However, 
sometimes coaches that come from lower levels are able to adapt. Their adapt muscle is a lot stronger than coaches who aren't at those levels. Because if I coach for Alabama, I don't have to change my structure. I got 30 of these guys that I recruited to do this. So they're going to do that. And that's just what it is. In high school, you may have two guys that can play this position. And if something happens to those two guys, then you got to have a, 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 you know, you got to be able to adapt and, and change. And and you may have to adapt during a game, you know, not, not even in an offseason, not even during the week. You may have to adapt during a game. So, yes, the good coaches, you know, they always have contingency plans. You know, sometimes it's, it's super layered. Sometimes it's three and four layers to that thing. Right, you go go watch uh, Malzahn is one that come to mind. Ryan Day is somebody that comes to mind. Uh, to where they, they always seem like they're a step ahead, no matter what. If they this, this happens, they have repped this enough to be able to do this. Or if that happens, they have enough guys and enough reps to be able to implement this in a game. Right. So uh, I had to learn that the hard way as a young coach. Uh, you know, a few years ago, and and you know, and now it's it's one of those things that is the reason why guys like Nick Saban, he said it the other day in his interview, how he absolutely, he still loves this thing. Like, because there's so <laughs> many different challenges and variables. And that's what, that's why they call you coach. Uh, you know, because you have to be able to adapt and put your players in the best, you know, situation so they can go out there and play fast and try to try to have a chance to succeed at what they're doing. So, um, you know, yes, to answer your question, you know, they, they have coaches out there, um, that are are really 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 good at having plans for um you know if something happens that's you know not considered ideal where, where they can go and still have enough you know bullets in the chamber so to speak to go out and, and compete and win a game so you know and maybe south carolina's a guy you know and beamer kind of strikes me as a guy that will want his staff to do that type of thing mm-hmm. especially the way he coaches on special teams you know he is a he is a, you know, uh, man, his dad is well. Sorry. Yeah. They, <laughs> but they are they are extremely, extremely, uh, you know, adaptable when it comes to special teams. Anytime you get a team like that, and I'm really nerding out, but anytime you get a team like that who go, go on special teams and week after week after week, they are able to beat you with some type of trick, some type of gimmick on special teams. That's a good coach. That's a guy who can adapt. That's a guy who can make things simpler for his players because teams are studying you. This is their job to study you all day, every day. And for you to still be able to get them on tricks on punt is really, really impressive. Uh, So, you know, you always got those coaches out there like that, man, who are really, really good at what they do when it comes to that. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Makes sense. Makes sense. Oh. To me, he was he was ahead of schedule in year one, you know, getting them to the Dukes Mayo Bowl. Uh, they won a lot of close games that could have been either way. Like, they had barely beat Vanderbilt that year, like a two or three-point game, I think. And injuries and stuff this year, but is it maybe kind of the law of averages kind of catching back up with him to where maybe they thought, hey, we won seven, eight games in year one. We're ready to – and now it's it's not really – what they thought just yet is that is that kind of how y'all see what's going on with Beamer over there? It seems to me like outside of the the very elite in in the conference from year to year, and then maybe go to the flip side of that and in the worst two teams, that everybody else in that middle ten or however many it would be is is kind of just fighting for the same. Yeah chunk you know and it's hard from week to week and it changes from week to week and i think south carolina kind of figured that out coming into this year when after coming off last season when a lot of good things broke their way that you know it's it's a whole new year and sometimes those breaks are going to go the opposite way Mm -hmm. this time around kentucky's 
found that out too in, in some of its games. Yeah, I think South Carolina, I kind of had started to have a bad feeling about actually when I was in the, uh, Nashville, not Atlanta this year, Nashville for SEC Media Days when Shane Beamer brought up that he thought 38 freshmen would be on the two deep depth chart. And I was like, 38? And I didn't know if he was exaggerating, but you look at that depth chart, it's not 38. I, I don't even know if he <laughs> but there's a lot of youth on that roster and then they've gotten decimated on the offensive line. And if you kind of look some of the, I was talking to one of my buddies who works for the rival site, actually um, on the South Carolina side, Alan um, over at SEC media days, or I think I was talking to him then anyway, uh, apparently they did not have a great transfer portal cycle. I mean, I know they lost Mario, uh, they gained Mario Anderson at running back, but they lost their starter from last year, uh, Marshawn Lloyd, who, had a great game against Kentucky at a great season. Yeah. He's now over, you know, at USC, Gilbert Edmond, an edge rusher that they were really high on, went to Florida State. Um, they lost the tight end, Jaheim Bell, who's been a monster at Florida State. So, uh, and they didn't really add much depth on that offensive line where they lost a lot of talent from last year and they lost some guys in the defensive backfield, including Darius Rush and Cam Smith, guys who were drafted. So, um, I, I don't think they did a great job in the portal and they have a lot of young talent. Their recruiting has gone very well you know beamers recruiting at a high level i think they have a top 20 class coming in uh if it stands right now in 2024 they finished number 18 in 2023 so there's some young talent but it, it's a really young roster and uh i think that's a big reason they're four and six and you know if you're kentucky you know there's obviously some youth on, on the wildcats as well uh, especially in the defensive backfield it's getting uh it's getting thin i mean uh brad white I think, uh, Jeff, you were the one that asked him today. He wouldn't commit to Andrew Phillips playing this weekend. It sounds like Max Harrison's going to play. I know he was supposed to talk to us today and something came up, but um, I think he's fine. But, you know, Ty Bryant's obviously a true freshman starting in the defensive backfield, but uh, South Carolina, man, they've got a lot of youth. Uh, they have, But, you know, their quarterback's experienced, their star receiver's experienced, and uh, <laughs> those are the two positions that are giving Kentucky a lot of trouble right now. Yeah, I, I think kind of what Jeff said, you know, I, in the SEC, man, to be honest, with you, you got, you know, Alabama, LSU, or Alabama, Georgia, sometimes LSU. Um, then you got the Vanderbilt's of the world, you know, right now, like the Arkansas or whatnot. Everybody else, you know, you can just roll the dice and say who's going to have a, you know, I mean, everybody else is on the same same, even Arkansas most years, they're on the same plane. I mean, mm -hmm. Vanderbilt is the mainstay where they are. Alabama, Georgia is the mainstay where they are. Everybody else is just, I mean, look look at Missouri this year. I mean, Missouri, not only Missouri playing good football, Missouri, you can almost say they could have beat Georgia at Georgia. You know, And um, they should have beat LSU. Yeah, should have <laughs> beat LSU. Was up against LSU pretty much the whole game from what yeah, I remember. Um, you know, should have beat Georgia at Georgia or could have. You know, and it's just like, man, you know, they are the team that happened to get picked this year by the football guys to have a good year. You know, I'm not saying that their roster isn't better than Kentucky's, in my opinion, but they are coaching really well over there. And, you know, they just happen to things are kind of bouncing their way. They've been relatively healthy, uh, good quarterback, you know, good receiver. You know, defense is playing pretty well. You know, it just happened. You know, Kentucky had a year like that a few years ago uh, where – they had the year where they stayed pretty healthy, uh, good defense, you know, NFL, you know, caliber guys on the edge, you know, so it's just, it's just one of those years, man, to where uh, it's Missouri's turn this year. Next year, Missouri may be a, you know, five and 17, because that's very, that's very doable at Missouri. Uh, you know, Kentucky can be whatever. So, you know, the Kentuckys, the Missouris, the Auburns, the, uh, you know, sometimes the Mississippi states, I'm not sure right now, Texas A&M, Arkansas, South Carolina. I mean, some of these teams, man, you just roll the dice. And if they stay healthy, they got a shot. If they don't, things can, can quickly turn um, for the worst. Because as we know, this conference is a beast. It eats its own. Uh, there's just, you know, people like to say, hey, the SEC is kind of down this year. I was watching Joel Clatt today. And he was saying, you know, the SEC shouldn't be, get as much credit this year. They shouldn't get as much respect. I'm like, man, like because they're all beating up on each other. Yeah, like Kirby Smart said, please come, come, come play the schedule, man. Because yeah, Florida may not be Alabama or Georgia, but at the end of the day, these teams still have 
dogs, and you still got to play these teams week after week after week after week after week. There's not a lot of Arizona States. There's not a lot of, uh, you know, there's not a lot of teams like that over here. You know, uh, the, and it, I mean, the Pac-12 is good this year. Big 12 is always so, – a Big 10 is always solid. There's not a lot of teams that you can just roll out and say, hey, we feel really good about this one. You know, you got to bring it every week. I mean, look at Kentucky and Vanderbilt last year. I mean, you, you, you better bring it every week, man, uh, because it's tough. So, you know, Stoops know that. You know, everybody knows that. You know, like I said, unless you're Bama, Georgia, or Vanderbilt, they're all mainstays of where they are. But everybody else, I mean, you eat off the floor. Y'all mentioned A&M and Mississippi State. You got Jimbo and Zach that didn't even make it through the season. So Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It is crazy, and you know there might be another one coming up in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, it's a, it's tough. I feel you know Jimbo. That was, what it was just a matter of when, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the Texas A and M could afford it, and that's a great opening uh, if they get the right. I feel like we've been saying it forever, but if they get the right coach in there, uh, they're going to unlock a beast. Um, but uh, as far as state goes, like you feel for Zach Arnett. That was like an impossible situation, you know, with Michael Leach dying and. Uh, so suddenly and having to they kind of made that move so they would keep that recruiting class they had coming in and now uh, it wasn't working out and he had a really low buyout with an AD who was not the one who hired him and it's uh, that's a tough one to survive so you know hopefully they'll get the right coach in there and uh, Arnett will he'll be a uh, he'll be a wanted man as a defensive coordinator that three three Liam Cohn was telling I asked him uh, I think you were there, Jeff, uh, before that that game, if he had, like, played anyone else who played that style of defense, and he couldn't think of anyone. Like, it's such a unique style that, you know, when they have the right players, has worked every single year. Um, and even this year, their defense it hasn't been good pass defense-wise, but their run defense is a, on, in the top half of the country, so they're still doing some things right, and they have some really good linebackers. So um, I've always wondered why there aren't more copycats. You would think. Because mm-hmm. the hardest position to recruit – in college football is the defensive line. Yes. Defensive line and corner are both pretty close. But, you know, you've got a lot of skilled guys out there who can play on the back end of that. A lot of speed, yeah. But it's hard to find, you know, four or five Deion Walkers (laughs) as an example. So I'm like, why don't more people use that, uh, you know, three, 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 five? That's what we asked a couple weeks ago. And and I'm like, if it's that disruptive and – messes up your philosophy that much and it it breaks all the rules offensively you're supposed to look at like why anybody else why don't everybody else do it and you know Jalen you're like it's hard to teach yeah you went into a big thing as to why we don't see it as often it's a it's a beast to teach um it's it's a beast you know you gotta if you weren't and it's kind of like the it's it's kind of like the browse system Mm. All right. I know a lot of people who've played in that system. I know people who, who are playing in that system right now and they are so secretive about it. And there's so much nuance, you know, and I, I'm, I'm led to believe that that system is kind of the same way. Uh, it's a beast to teach. You know, there's a lot of moving parts and it's kind of feast or famine almost, you know, if you, if you don't know what you're doing, I was listening to, uh, Steve Sarkeesian talked about it. He was talking about Matt Campbell over there at Iowa State and was saying how, you know, when they implemented it in the Big 12, they had to go through two years of growing pains because it's 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 a great defense once you get the ball rolling, but it's not like the 4-2 or 4-3 or just basic 3-4. There's a lot of moving parts, and your guys have to be really flexible. You got to develop and recruit hybrid guys in a lot of places because your middle safety in that 3-3-5 or whatever you want to call it, your middle safety a lot of times turn into a Mike linebacker. Your safeties turn into Will and Sam linebackers a lot. Uh, your Mike linebacker turns into a D lineman or a rush guy a lot. So you got to recruit guys that are really, really flexible, really, really um, uh, versatile in, in what position that they can play. So, and Liam Cohen's coming from the NFL. They don't play that in the NFL. No, <laughs> they they pay they pay they pay the Bud Dupree's, the JJ Watt or the TJ Watts of the world to do one thing. Line up outside leverage yeah, this, this damn defensive end and go sack the quarterback every time. That that's what the, that's what they pay them to do. In college, you really don't have that. You can, you know, you, you 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 some of these schools they don't get the best recruits. 
So you got to make do with what you got. And th- sometimes a lot of those coaches who coach those type of teams end up being really, really good coaches because you got to adapt. So you had they had to, somebody out there created a system to where I may not have the best rushers, I may not have the best box guys, but I'm going to line up in this 3-3-5, and it's going to look like a five-man box at the snap. But as soon as the ball is snapped, there's now seven men in the box. There's now eight men in the box. And now my my center, my quarterback, have is absolute hell trying to identify who's who in the zoo. It is, man. It, it is. It's it's because you don't because you don't yeah. know. Like they were saying, your mic can line up at Sam. Yeah, and you're not or, supposed to yeah, block. The receivers yeah. told not to block, and then you do have to block it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it go watch. I, I challenge people listening to this. Go watch Iowa State, and 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 please draw up every single front that they line up in. Go watch TCU and draw it all up. <laughs> And 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 let me know when you're done drawing it up because uh it's it's a lot man so that's why everybody don't do it because everybody can't do it at the end of the day. It sounds like uh the team that should be trying to do it though is uh moving into the Big Ten is USC man like that sounds like <laughs> the perfect thing to have. There's so many good Big Ten defenses. You have to play defense in that conference to win. Uh, that, that should be Lincoln Riley's first call. He he made finally you know made that decision to fire Grinch. Uh, that's my first call. And if not, uh, how about uh, poor Matt House, uh, guy yeah. who we had here in Kentucky, obviously. But how about Baton Rouge? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet he already called Arnett. Yeah. Which one? Both of them or Kelly? Um, uh, USC. Oh, Riley. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm willing to bet he's already made that phone call. Should. I'm willing to bet that, man, because, I mean, that would be a perfect thing to bring into the big, uh, the big yeah. ten, you know, because I think it'll, you know, I don't. I'm trying to think. Does anybody in the big ten really run it? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. I mean, usually the big ten is is known for, you know, lining up and putting four guys hand in the dirt and stopping the run and that type of thing. So we'll see, man. Uh, but yeah, you're right. You know, USC should definitely invest in uh, some burner phones and make some phone calls to some guys. <laughs> <laughs> But Jeff, we we asked this question a few weeks ago, Jeff, because you know if it's that disruptive, why doesn't everybody do it? You you're a Steelers fan. You you see Baltimore with no down linemen sometimes on a play. I'm like, well, why doesn't everybody do it? If it confuses everybody, you know, but they just use it here and there. Same thing. We we had this this conversation just a few weeks ago. Um, Flipping back to basketball, recruiting real quick. You got Santo, you got Travis Perry, and Boogie Flan coming in. So everybody that was wanting to panic about next year's class, maybe that'll kind of that'll kind of calm everybody down a little bit, wouldn't y'all say? Yeah, especially after adding another with uh, Jaden. Uh, yeah, know, yeah, he needs some help on that last name. I I haven't talked. I'm to him not there yet. So I, I, I'm assuming that's Quinn. Acquaintance, I think so. Think so. Yeah, but uh, that was a game changer in the overall because people before that were starting to wonder is Kentucky struggling a little bit in in this class, but uh, now it's really <laughs> number two. A, I think in both level. of our systems there, and it, and it might just lead to somebody like Richmond jumping on board pretty soon, and before you know it, you've got another, you know. Typical Cal Perry, number one or number two ranked recruiting class that, that has all the parts. And I really like the fact that they, they took a chance on Perry. Yeah. You know, it may or may not work out, you know, at, at this level, but there's no substitute for the skill of shooting the ball and they give him a shot and, and playing the way they are right now in this style. I think there's a, a spot for him at Kentucky where he can really help. And, and then you got, you know, with JQ, he's got two years to play. That's right. And he's got, there's not going to be any one and done talk with him. You've got your, your big man kind of, I've seen some people say center, but his skills are a little bit more versatile than that. He's kind of like a hybrid big man in, in, in my view, but you've got that locked up for a couple of years with, with one of the best prospects in the country. Absolutely. And with, with Perry, look again, you and I are older than these guys, Jeff, but setting the state record in scoring, you and I have heard King Kelly Coleman our whole life. That that name has transcended generations. You know, we, we heard about it as little kids. His name is still 
very relevant. So just just talk about how he was as a player, the record that Travis broke because you know like that kind of carries a lot of weight when you just think yeah, of what I, he did. I didn't think we were ever going to see that. And, yeah. and, you know, I I covered one of the state's great scorers <laughs> down in Harlan uh, many years ago when they had Charles Thomas there. Mm-hmm. And, Man, this this guy guy put up 25, 30 points every night, and he wasn't anywhere near that <laughs> that record. Mm-hmm. I thought, this is the best guy that I've covered personally. So to eclipse that and and to break the all time record, um, which it's 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 hard to imagine how a guy like King Kelly Coleman scored all those points with no three point line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just insane, uh, but. This guy, Travis Perry, he's he's the best shooter I've seen come out of the state uh, since Lofton at Mason County. And we know what kind of career he, he ended up having at Tennessee. It's a shame he didn't play for Kentucky, but, you know, Tubby had that great class put together yeah. and had all those guards locked up. Um, but I haven't seen anybody shoot it close to what Perry does since, since Lofton's time. Wow. Yeah, that's that's high praise right there, man. It really is. So uh, yeah, and you talk about also just wanting to get like that Rupp Arena crowd back. Like I tried asking John Calipari, he gave a John Calipari non-answer. But uh, I you know every time Reed, I, I don't know if you noticed this, Jeff. Every time Reed Shepard touches the basketball, that there's like a buzz and like a hold your breath uh, in that arena. He is beloved, and you know Travis Perry obviously he's not a legacy guy, but being from Kentucky, small town, you know Edieville. Uh, every time he touches the ball, uh, it's going to be pretty similar where everyone's kind of on pins and needles and, and really excited when, when he makes a play. And, uh, again, I'm not sure, you know, how great of a college player he's going to be, if it's going to work out here, but you know, you can never have enough shooting depth and, you know, these kids are loved here, man. I mean, you heard all the, it didn't work out for Dante Allen, but anytime he had a big game, uh, the fans that that was as pumped up as they were, you know, at any point in those seasons, respectively, when he was here. So Dominique um, Hawkins, Dominique Hawkins, absolutely. Darius was, Miller, you know, I eighth mean, or ninth guy down, down the bench and the fans absolutely went crazy. Them. Yeah. So, Dominique was out there. So yeah, uh, they give you 13 scholarships. I've been on Cal about this for years. It's like, use those scholarships, man. It's a, yeah. I know he's trying to do the right job. Cut that out. <laughs> the crowd re- responds. So, I know he's always said he's trying to do right by the kids, and you know he wants them to have the, a genuine opportunity to get their playing time. But at least find out if you can make it work here. Yeah, they can always they can transfer if it doesn't, mm-hmm. and, and everybody and I, turns out fine. I was surprised that he picked it. Like I thought, well, you know, I think a lot of people were they go to Ole Miss or go to. Cincinnati or go somewhere else, and then yeah. if he blew up there, then maybe he comes back. But yeah, come on in as a freshman, and, you know, see where you fit in next year. So looking forward to it. Y'all got anything else y'all want to hit before we put a bow on it? I think we hit a lot of good stuff there, and uh, mm-hmm. you know another big weekend coming up for this football program. Yeah. And- you know, basketball will get a big win, I'm sure, on Friday and uh, keep building confidence over there. You got to get 7 4, get revenge on South Carolina, finish up at 8 and 4. That'll look, look Jeff, we, we know, we all 8 and 4 doesn't happen a lot. Sure, it's not 9 and 3 and 10 and 2, like a lot of people want, but 8 and 4 is solid. You wish you'd had a better showing against Alabama, you know, if you lost or Georgia don't just get have the game over in the first quarter, but it is what it is. If you finish up eight and four, that's still, that's still like I said. We never want to get to the point where we're taking that for granted. Right. Yeah. You know, it's a good thing too, though, because that, I mean, you, you hear it in the players and the coaches that, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, we can go eight and four. You kind of get that. that, That's a good, that's a good place to be, man. I mean, we were eight or four at my time in Kentucky. They would shut the town. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, for real. Like, I mean, no, you're it, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, I'm just, I'm extremely. This is the most I've been excited for a Kentucky Louisville game in a few years. Uh, 
I'm excited for that because I think this is going to be a big game, and I think Kentucky's going to knock them off, by the way, um, and, and kind of ruin their chances to, you know, maybe get in the playoff, whatever they're thinking, which is not going to happen anyway. But because uh, I think they'll, they'll they'll probably lose Florida State in the uh, ACC championship game. But I think, you know, and, and the, yeah, you want to play better against Bama, but Bama's not the eighth best team in the country. Bama's a top five team. Oh, okay. easy. Uh, so, you know, you play you play the team that's probably going to make the playoff if they if they can beat Georgia. Uh, so, yeah, you want to play better, no doubt. But uh, as Stoops and as Cohen said, you know, they just kind of shook their head like, man, look, they are playing on a whole other level right now. And I don't think you guys realize that. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's work to be done, but I think uh, I think they get these two wins and it'll, it'll look really good. Absolutely. I felt we got another episode in here. Appreciate it. Jeff Drummond, man. Appreciate you taking the time to hop on here. Yeah, man. Thanks, Vinny. It's good to be in here with you guys. Good to see Jalen again. And always good, good to see Aaron, though, even though I see him every day. Every day. Every day. And I'll, I'll see you tomorrow for the exciting five minutes we get there. <laughs> I always enjoy your work on Castle Illustrated, man. Your photography, uh, all the shots you get, man. All the, all the stuff you're doing there, man. Appreciate it. AG, Thank check you. him out at thecatspiles.com. Jalen, two-time author and coach as well. Appreciate everybody. This episode will be up at believe.com. Uh, see a blue. Jason Markman, the fellas, put the episodes up on their site as well. Y'all get yourself a shirt, Cat Daddy shirt. Go to believe.com slash shop. We got some merch over there if y'all want to pick that up as well. And we hope to be back next week talking about Kentucky going 7-4, and four, heading into Louisville after a win over those South Carolina Gamecocks in Columbia. So for Aaron, Jalen, and Jeff, this is Benny Hardy. It's been another episode of Believe in Kentucky. And we'll see everybody next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.